Today, as you probably noticed when you walked in, we will be baptizing two beautiful and precious babies, Luca and Sersha. These are babies who are loved by their families, and I would guess universally adored, because I think they're quite adorable. And these children will be delightful and vibrant members of the Holy Family community, hopefully for many years to come. Now, as you may know, small children and babies react in a, in a variety of ways to that unexpected act of a near stranger pouring water on their heads. They've been in church for weeks or for months. They've always been cuddled and warm and dry while lovely music plays in the background and suddenly splosh. They have no way of knowing that this is a sign of God's life-affirming presence. One of my daughters, who was baptized at about age 18 months, was either stunned into silence or intensely curious about what was happening. She was almost motionless. Her eyes were turned up and slightly crossed. That's how she looked at me when she was born, too. Um, but um, it seemed that she was trying to discern the potential danger, or maybe the delight, of that slow trickle making its way down her tiny nose. In my experience, though, I'd say that at baptism, it's far more common for a baby to squirm and fuss and even scream in opposition to those few teaspoons of water dribbling over their heads. So we'll see what happens here in a few minutes. But speaking of things that might make us squirm and fuss, how do you like this morning's gospel? I'll admit that in times past, it has made me doubtful of God's intentions, at times even of the very possibility of God as love. Really, huge stones tumbling, stunningly large buildings falling in a heap. I don't interpret this as God as safe place. So it doesn't really surprise me when these four disciples, two sets of brothers, James and John, Peter and Andrew, pull Jesus aside for that quiet moment. Tell us when this tumbling will take place and how we will know that it's about to happen. I wonder, did it sound like a fun spectacle? Did they want to be first in line to watch these things come undone? Or were they hoping to be the first to start running down the road, terrified, but happy to have a head start on their escape? Either way, on first glance, Jesus offered them a list of clues of signs of what was to come that don't really sound like great comfort. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famine, false Christs hoping to lead us astray, astray from what or toward what we're not really told. But my guess is that we could be led astray from hope 
and led astray toward some sort of fear and panic. So, ouch. These are the signs of God coming among us. Well, I personally rather enjoy that quiet little story of Jesus' birth, even with its loud singing angels. It's also a story of God coming among us. It's awe-inspiring, miraculous, tender, non-threatening, at least from 2,000 years different distance. Who knows what it was like back then? But wars and rumors of wars and all these distressing signs that Jesus lists, they've been here all along. Since before Jesus came among us in human form, certainly to this very day, likely well beyond the time that any of us will continue to walk on this earth. The prophet Daniel in the story we just heard which is set about 600 years before Christ, but was probably written about 200 years before. Um, that story warns the people of a time of great anguish as had never been seen before. So there was anguish before. The people knew that. And we know from studies in scriptures and other historical sources that the Jewish people ancestors of these disciples and of Jesus himself had lived through war, hostile takeovers, famine. They had fled from place to place and survived numerous attempts to exterminate them. For Jews, history is personal, always a part of the present moment. These signs actually may not have seemed like anything out of place for these men. And remember, they themselves were living under Roman rule, a time of hostility and humiliation that in only a few decades would end in crushing tragedy that probably felt very little like God coming. So how did Jesus speak to them? What did they hear when he gave them this list? Was it a serious tone of warning? Or was it a flat expression of, yeah, more of the same? Or, and I, I will give you a little hint, I go for option three here. Um, did it all come across as just a bit tongue-in-cheek, an effective bit of divine and dramatic hand-waving? And did those four disciples stand there petrified? Or did they huddle in the corner to plan their escape? Did they walk away chuckling at what they may also have thought was a joke? And would they tell the other eight? Because here's the thing, again, they knew quite well that Jesus was describing everyday life, a way too common and shared history. More positively, though, they knew that God is always on the way, always arriving, always interacting with and dwelling among God's people. I read the news, except never on Sunday. I read history. I know Jesus was playing on themes that have accompanied us since the dawning of human life and even before. Imagine the tussling of dinosaurs and sharks and platypuses and comets striking this planet. It's all been seen before. 
So should I be worried? I think not. Jesus ends his little teaching with these words, and this is where it becomes clear to me that these signs really are good news. These are but the beginnings of the birth pangs. That is a promise of good things. Those of you with babies in your arms know that. This is a promise, not a threat. Now, gentlemen, if you feel a need, I, I give you permission to stop listening for 30 seconds or so, because we're gonna talk about girl stuff. <laughs> so, if you've given birth, you know the inside story of birth pangs. You get to scream and tell the doctor that he or she is an absolute monster. And if anyone dares to get too close during those last few contractions, you won't think twice. In fact, you probably won't even think once about pulling some hair, big handfuls and really hard. But suddenly, there is a baby and nothing else matters anymore. What was once the glistening sweat of pain and exhaustion is redefined as the radiant glow of new motherhood. That baby who had seemed absolutely determined to rip you in half is suddenly precious again. Small, helpless, the sweetest and most wonderful thing to ever emerge from the darkness. It's like your personal moment of magic. Gentlemen, feel free to start listening again. I'm done with that. More universally, if you've ever lived through an earthquake or a war or a personal trauma that threatened to drown you in pain and fear, if you've ever watched a mighty building fall at the swinging of a tiny forged steel wrecking ball, then you know why the disciples may have been quaking in their sandals for a bit. Those things can be terrifying, but you also know, you also know that when God emerges from the darkness, as God always will, something changes. God in constant and infinite love always finds a way to bring a glimmer of light and of hope into your heart. God may approach us as a gentle fluttering, or as a roaring that rivals that of a mother bear, as a baby born in a manger, or in the daily round of cataclysmic events, which, by the way, are rarely ever, if ever, of God's making, but they are always of God's concern. Either way, God's arrival is an unbelievably wonderful thing, a life-changing event. The signs Jesus names and God's habitual presence with us are hardly cause and effect, but both are constant. We really don't need a sign of God's coming because God is already here. Those who want one will find it, and they will dread and fear because what? Because God is threatening to get close? God arrives among us for one reason and one reason only, and that is love. A promise, not a threat. So you little ones, 
about to be wet with holy water, family and friends of those babies, this congregation, we welcome you, little ones. We welcome you into the household of God, a place of shelter, of joy, of ultimate and unending love. Always, always, God is right here, hovering at our fingertips like warm water trickling, a freshet ready to pour at the slightest hint of need. It needn't be rumors of war, or stones need not tip and tumble. Those extraordinary and everyday headlines that draw our souls into knots. All it takes to stir our God is the rustling chime of dry leaves in our hearts, the crackling of stars burning in the heavens, the sound of a butterfly folding her wings, the brilliant split-second flash of baby's first smile. Do not for a moment doubt that these tiny things tell us of a God whose only way of being is with us, in us, among us, our breath, our beating hearts. Amen.